Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcasting fix. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on this podcast. Now, before I bring my guest on for this week's show, I do just want to take a moment to tell you about one of our partner events that is coming up. So we've got the Digital Transformation Conference. It's a hybrid event that's taking place at the America Square Conference Center in London on October 21st. The October conference will again welcome some of the brightest minds working in and around digital transformation with topics around pandemic response and recovery, future-proofing, business, product pivots, future work, people and culture within transformation, and so much more, all hinged around digital transformation, innovation, and strategy. So make sure you register today and book tickets at digitaltransformationconf.co.uk. That's digitaltransformationconf.co.uk. Right. Now that's out of the way, let's get on with the show. And today I'm very excited to be rejoined by Mike Wood, the CMO at Versa Networks. Now he was on to do a podcast with me back in November and we spoke around SASE architecture readiness. And in today's episode, Mike is here to talk about Versa's recently published post-COVID workforce survey, which examines the experiences and attitudes towards the global digital transformation of network and security following the pandemic. So Mike, welcome back. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me back, Max. It's great to be here. Anytime, anytime. I'm, I'm looking forward to delving into this subject a bit further and expanding on what we spoke about previously. But let's just catch the listeners up a little bit. Would you mind just giving yourself uh, a little background on yourself and Versa Networks? Absolutely. So I've really done quite a bit. I've been an engineer. I've designed uh, products uh, in uh, high technology. I've done product management <laughs> for products and solutions in, in high tech. And uh, I'm now really focused on um, outbound marketing and uh, activities around awareness and demand generation. And Versa is the leader in Secure Access Service Edge, or SASE, as you referred to it. Uh, and the company has been around for almost 10 years now. And it is a software company. We offer a SaaS model, a uh, software as a service model for all of our security and our networking uh, capabilities and analytics capabilities, but we also offer an on-premises uh, model also. Um, and once again, it's great to be here, Max. Excellent. Yes, it's a, it's a great model that you guys put out there and um, fantastic work you've been doing. I found the survey really insightful uh, from what you guys kind of found and the research from it. So let's, let's delve into that a little bit to, to start off the show because as the foundation of network security, you know, versus survey spotlight secure access Service Edge or SASIS will refer to it and have been. But ironically, it kind of highlights that only 31% of IT and security professionals that were surveyed really knows what it means, which is kind of a shockingly low number. So can you break down what SASI is? Absolutely. You know, I think it's the, <laughs> that was really an interesting um, response also from, from the survey. And, and really, I think, I think what that means is that not everybody makes the connection between the terminology SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, and the capabilities of Secure Access Service Edge. So, you know, similar to what you said, what are the components or what are the attributes that make up Secure Access Service Edge? Well, there's really two broad categories, Max. There's the security functionality, um, which is delivered via the cloud or on-premises, 
And then there's the networking functionality that's delivered via the cloud or on-premises. And SASE is really bringing these together. But there's also an, another interesting dimension to all this, which is the edge. Uh, there's the internet edge and my connectivity back into all the different applications and data and resources and compute that I have access to. But then there's the services edge where I'm really connecting individuals, I'm connecting offices, I'm connecting homes uh, into that. And so the capabilities that make up SASE include things like Secure Web Gateway, or sometimes it's referred to Max as SWIG, or uh, ZTNA is another one, Zero Trust Network Access, CASB, uh, Cloud Access Security Broker, a lot of a lot of acronyms uh, and, and uh, summarizations there. Next-gen firewall is part of that on the security side. There's also remote browser isolation or RBI. Um, data loss prevention is also part of that. Those are all on the security capabilities. And then networking capabilities include things like software-defined wide area networking or SD-WAN. It includes routing uh, functionality is in there. Um, even to some degree, things like quality of service and shaping and functionality like that. So it's bringing all those together, delivering them via the cloud and connecting back into wherever my applications compute and resources might be all the way down to wherever my users uh, might be. So that that's sort of the quick encapsulation. And Max, it's really all those individual functions that make up a complete SASE implementation that I think if people out of the response and the survey came back and said, hey, we didn't really realize that all of those things can be delivered together. And when they're delivered together, they're referred to as uh, secure access service edge, Max. Exactly. Perfectly explained. I think you should be the spokesperson for this going forward. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's difficult. Like We can't blame people. The amount of acronyms that we all know we have to deal with and trying to store them in our head and then Gartner loves to come along and then here's another one for you to remember. It's, it's difficult to, as you say, have that breakdown and understand exactly what each component does. And that's why it's important to have these conversations that we're having here today because it can help the organizations understand, oh, this could be something that we need or something we can utilize. So with that being said, what are some of the top reasons businesses should adopt SASE following the emergence of the pandemic especially? Yeah, I think there are really, there are probably three fundamental drivers or reasons. One is that it's undisputable and that all of our users, our employees, our contractors within businesses are massively dispersed today. They have been for the last 18 to 24 months. And that is likely to continue. My users, my employees, my contractors are likely on any given day going to be working from anywhere around the globe. And so now suddenly my office has become an office of one. And that office of one, maybe at home, maybe in the cafe, it may be in the park, it may be actually in a physical office, a branch office. And so um, that's one fundamental driver that IT needs to be able to regain control and be able to deliver a secure experience for all of those users. They need to be able to deliver the best application experience to all of those users. And they need to be able to gain visibility into how those users and where those users are accessing services from. So that's one piece is where are my employees? They're all over the place, and I need to regain control of that and, and secure them. The second driver and rationale is around the applications. Again, if you think back, Max, maybe 15, 20 years ago, most applications were running in just a few data centers. 
around the globe. <laughs> and maybe I had data redundancy and things like that. Maybe I had two or three data centers, depending on the region and the ge- you know, geo uh, location. Now that's changed dramatically. So now my applications could be running anywhere around the globe, even if they're delivered via a cloud service or a SaaS service, they could be in multiple locations. So suddenly IT now is trying to be able to secure all of these applications and access to those applications, some of which they don't know where they are, um, and be able to do it in a high-performance manner and be able to gain full visibility into those applications, which are now hosted in thousands of locations instead of um, half a dozen locations. So that's a second uh, factor. And I would say a third factor is just this entire idea around digital transformation. Businesses who have done really, really well over the last 18 to 24 months are the ones that have maintained business continuity. They're the ones that they kept operating even though their employees were massively distributed, the applications were massively distributed because they had a digital transformation uh, strategy in effect and in play. And so that's, a, I think, a, very, a third factor here where SASE uh, really becomes an important aspect, which is being able to deliver connectivity back to those digital transformed uh, applications, doing it securely, and uh, gaining that visibility for IT to be able to enable that across a wide range of locations and users. So those probably the three things, Max, that, that I would draw out. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think those three are are very crucial because the game's changed at the end of the day. You know, we're not going back to how we were two, three years ago of, especially from a security standpoint as well, which is the kind of most shocking element of all of this. So obviously seeing the emergence post-pandemic, there's a lot that organizations really need to be thinking about, isn't there, in terms of how they approach this and how they approach this going forward, because it is not just one spot that needs to be secured. As you said, it's thousands, it's multiple. Digital transformation is only going to increase and is only increasing at a kind of breakneck speed. So you've got to stay ahead of the curve, and, and that's why we're hoping to kind of give the advice from this perspective. And it leads me nicely onto the other part of the survey, which was very interesting. We mentioned a very low number before. A very high number was that nine out of the ten companies are reevaluating their remote connectivity policy to include SASE. So, if we just take what you said a little bit further, how crucial is SASE delivered cybersecurity for that new work from home culture, especially when we're talking about those small to medium enterprises? That's a really good question, Max. You know, when we look back historically, um, the idea of remote access was really an extension of what the network was in the past. And the network was always a very secure parameter. We all went into the office. We either went into a headquarters office, maybe we went into a campus office where there were multiple buildings, or maybe we went into a remote uh, branch office, uh, you know, maybe a bank or retail outlet or something like that. But we went into an office and IT was able to provide a secure network in and out of that office. And, you know, everything was wonderful. You know, IT then began to need to provide access for remote access from remote workers. And they just provided an extension of that network. They provided an encrypted VPN out to your desktop in that remote location that might be your home or maybe it's another uh, very small office. And so that was the traditional model. And you know, really that was fine for you know, 10, 20 years ago when the, the applications I was accessing were all back in a private data center. As we talked about, you and I did just here, Max, that that's changed. My applications are not back at a private data center. Some of them are, but many of them aren't. My applications are everywhere. So suddenly 
the network that existed that allowed me to extend VPN access out to the home and my my uh, employees' laptops, that suddenly has become highly restrictive and only allows me, forces me all the way back into a concentrator and then forces me to go through the data center back to applications, which are now, the application may be actually running 10, 20 kilometers away from me right now, but I've got to go all the way back to the headquarters and then circle back in trombone back to that application out over the internet. So this new model, SASE, allows me the same, even better level of security because I can bring in all these things like Secure Web Gateway, Zero Trust Network Access, um, data loss prevention, all the capabilities that are really, really crucial to IT. I can extend those all the way out to those remote users, and I can give them access and accessibility back to the applications where those applications exist, um, which might be very close, as we said, with the same, with the high level of security, high level of application performance and visibility uh, for IT. So this ends up being a much, much more secure model, SASE does, than my traditional encrypted VPN. And it's a much, much more flexible model because I can connect back into the applications wherever they are over the cloud. And IT can maintain even better visibility out to where those uh, locations are that individuals are accessing applications from. So it's really shifted. It's it's almost an incredibly uh, timely service that's now available in this day and age uh, because it does provide much better security, much better access, visibility than a traditional encrypted VPN uh, might do. Mm-hmm, definitely. And um, I can get on my soapbox now about VPNs, which is good. So <laughs> obviously, SASE offers all of this, which is fantastic. And, and we all know the benefits that it can kind of bring. And, and the survey itself even pointed out that SASE has overtaken VPNs as the connectivity of preference. But there's still 23% implementing VPNs versus the 34% using SASE. So not the biggest gap we would hope to see. And, and I remember you know, the first three months of the pandemic, me being on this very podcast, yelling about stop using VPNs, it's not going to get you where you need to be. <laughs> um, and there was a comment, when obviously when we got the press release, when we were kind of arranging this, there was a comment um, that the enterprise's imperative to address remote security and connectivity issues post-2020 has led companies away from the old VPN technologies that does have all the security holes uh, that we're kind of aware of. But for those people who are still holding on to that VPN and not making the switch, can we settle it right here, right now? What makes VPN technology so problematic when we compare it to the option of SASE? I think one of the huge factors is management. And when you think of just, I talked to an IT professional a few months ago who told me that for every VPN access client that they deploy, it takes them 30 minutes to bring that user up. So think about new employees, acquisitions that you've made, um, anybody that you need to bring up on, on VPN, 30 minutes per, uh, per employee or per contractor, per client. That's a massive amount of time. And the reason is because it is incredibly complicated to deploy. A second factor, I'll give you two, Max, um, <laughs> is you. scalability. I mean, the, these uh, tr- traditional legacy, I'll call it legacy, VPN technology does not scale. It's all built on concentrators, oftentimes hardware-based concentrators. Maybe they're software-based, but they're still hardware uh, restricted. And being able to scale that, thinking, um, let's say I acquire a new company and I bring in 5,000 employees or 2,000, 1,000 employees, 
Now suddenly I have to bring them onto the same system. I've got to likely go out and buy new licenses and new hardware to bring uh, bring on those new employees. Or if I'm adding and scaling the business, I need to be able to bring on um, a cloud model and a SASE model is naturally, intrinsically, and inherently expansive and scalable and elastic. So that's really a, a second piece. And a third piece is I would say VPN, legacy VPN is... Um, I've got to be careful the language I use here, but it, it is um, an unintelligent technology. It is a conduit back into your data center, and that's all it is. It provides no additional intelligence in terms of looking at information that's inside of those packets, looking at headers, and de- you know determining whether or not firewall functionality should be activated for a particular flow or a session. It doesn't take advantage of all the um, really innovative security technologies that have been developed in the last three to five years that are almost necessary in the day and age of ransomware and malware and viruses that are uh, prolific now. So the, I gave you three, Max. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you could have kept going if I let you. It's you uh, right. <laughs> yeah, many, many, many options. No, 100% agree. Uh, perfect answer. And I, I feel like uh, you're a lot more diplomatic than I would have been. So I think <laughs> you're sure. safe. <laughs> so just to wrap up the show here then, um, the survey did note that the responsibility of introducing SASE largely rests on IT teams. And I, I do believe that in terms of how it kind of is pushed ahead and, and why it's kind of needed. So from your experience or, or how you would advise IT teams go about introducing, implementing and adopting SASE into their organizations effectively? Absolutely. I, I think it is. This is an exciting area where it really falls on the IT teams to, to make this a reality for their organizations. It's not going to be something that's mandated by the board of directors or even the C-suite necessarily. It's certainly going to be the IT teams themselves that bring these uh, forward. So uh, where to start? There, the interesting thing here is that this is both a security technology and uh, requirement, but it's also a networking a technology and requirement. And the beautiful thing is that it can really originate from either uh, either side. A lot of organizations, you brought up small, medium enterprises, SMEs. Many of those organizations have a converged model where those teams reside within the same organization, but it can actually begin from either. Uh, when you look at uh, networking, it's all about access. But right now, you cannot perform access and, and deliver networking without having have security as part of that. The same thing with security. I can develop and introduce the best security solution, but it, if it doesn't provide the networking functionality, uh, it's going to be back to the drawing board. Um, so it can originate from either net, on the networking side or the security side, uh, security architects, security engineers, network engineers, network architects, uh, for sure, and, and certainly starting from uh, from IT. And I think that, you know, a couple of the big starting points are really all about security. I think that's the big thing. Security is top of mind. If you can demonstrate as an IT team that I am solving our security challenges for today, but this is something that's scalable and we'll have the ability to um, scale with the business and deliver on security requirements that are five, seven, 10 years from now with this architecture, I think that's going to be an important part. If I can demonstrate also back to uh, my finance head, whether it's an actually a CFO or if it's um, the finance controller, that I can actually save us money through this. That's another you know, huge, uh, huge driver. And a lot of money can be saved you know, through, this, um, through this model. And then there's always refreshes. There's always got to be 
um, a refresh for branch locations and for teleworkers and remote access and all of these things. And so it's much better to put in an implementation that is going to allow me to scale for the next five to 10 years on the networking and access side. So it can start from either the security team or the networking team. A lot of times those are uh, combined and there's a lot of great resources and tools out there that uh, folks can use to to really build the case for that. 100% agree. It's it's what I always say whenever there's a new implementation plan, have the plan ready to go, show the benefits of how it can scale, the return of investment so important. And once you have that, it's kind of hard to say no to. Once you have this kind of conversation prepared, it just makes logical sense at the end of the day. So Mike, thank you for coming on, giving your insights. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. So thank you once again. Thank you, Max. I always enjoy our conversations. Same, same. And thank you everyone who took the time to listen. We hope you took a lot away from the conversation. If you are looking for more information and you want to read the report yourself, then head on over to the website at versa-networks.com. That's versa-networks.com. It's on the homepage there for the ebook, Post-COVID Workforce Survey. We'll be back soon with another podcast episode. Until then, you can join the conversation at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com. <laughs>